How is everyone this morning? Everyone good? Um, I just wanted to really encourage you. Um, firstly, I should introduce myself if I don't know you. My name is Scott. I am one of the pastors here. And I just want to encourage you um, to sponsor one of our Compassion Kids. We are partners with Compassion Australia and they are releasing kids from poverty in Jesus' name. They're a Christian organisation. And across our churches, across all three New Life churches, we sponsor hundreds of these kids. Now, we have one as a family, and it's been such an amazing journey for us to watch her grow up with schooling, with medical, and being able to go to church in her country. And let me tell you, we actually give um, a little bit extra for her birthday and Christmas. And we got a letter from last time she had her birthday, and she told us what she bought. She said, I bought milk and eggs for my family, and I bought school shoes. Isn't that amazing? Like when we get money here, we go spend it on things that we don't really need, but she's spending it on milk and eggs for her family and just getting some school shoes so she can go to school with new shoes. That's the blessing that we're able to be to someone who doesn't have what we have. So I'd really encourage you to go into the foyer after the service. We've got a couple of kids we would love to sponsor by the next couple of weeks. So we are in our series on Ephesians. We are in week 10, so out of 12. So you're doing really well. You're holding in there, which is great. And sometimes it's good just to pump the brakes, just to slow down a bit, because we live in such a fast-paced culture, right? Like, we want everything now. We want things done straight away, but it's really good for us to slow down, sit in one book, dig a little bit deeper into each verse, and it's a good thing for Christians and a discipline for disciples of Christ just to, to slow down and get in the habit of doing that, just slowing down a bit and digging a little bit deeper. So today... We're up to Ephesians 5, verses 6 to 21. So you'll see it on the screen. You can follow along with me. Paul says to the Ephesians, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. See then that you work circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another in the fear of God. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you showed Paul, for the witness of the Holy Spirit in him, for his amazing insight to your love and your mercy and your grace. God, I pray that you would help me preach this text today, that you would speak through me, but you would also speak to me, God, but they would not look to me, but they would only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start off with a bit of a personal question. Who gets up to go to the toilet once a night? Some of you are like, I ain't telling you that. That's a bit personal. Right? I do. 
I get up every single night and I go to the bathroom at least once, right? But being the good husband and father I am, I don't turn the lights on because I don't want to wake everyone up, right? So I'm like, I'll get up and I've got to get out of my bed and I've got to go around the other side to get out the door. Then I've got to go down the hallway and get down around the corner into the bathroom and it's pitch black. And I think to myself, I've been here 12 years. I know where I'm going. I don't need the lights on. I got this. And I'm surprised how many times I get up and smash my shin on the side of the bed. And then when I bump into the door jam, and then I end up going down the hallway like a zombie, feeling for stuff, half asleep, and I don't actually really know where I'm going. This is what it's like when we don't know Jesus. We're stumbling through the dark. We think we know where we're going. We think we know everything that's about what we need to do, but we, we're stumbling in the dark. That's the picture the Bible, Jesus and Paul paints of people that don't know the truth, that don't know Jesus, people who have not been born again by the Holy Spirit. You see, they think they know the truth. They think they know all things, what's right or wrong, but what they are is blind and their mind is clouded by the darkness. They can't see the truth. They actually need the lights turned on. And this is a tagline for our series in Ephesians, how now shall we live? And I actually love this question. I don't think we ask this question enough as Christians living in a world that's rejecting the idea of God more and more. Like, how are we supposed to live in a world that's full of sin and temptation? How are we supposed to live in a world that's rejected God and rejected the notion that there is truth? How do we live in a world that says, do whatever you want, do whatever feels good to you? How as Christians do we live in this world? Well, Paul starts to tell us in chapter 5 and verse 6. He says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Paul starts verse 6 with, Let no one deceive you with empty words. This is a warning to the Ephesian church that we don't take counsel from people that don't know the truth or don't know the reality of God. Don't be deceived by people trying to convince you that you can do certain things and they're okay, like that it's not sin. Don't be deceived into thinking that sin doesn't matter to God. Because let me tell you, there are so many good arguments out there, so many convincing arguments to get engaged in sin. So many of them. You can just go on YouTube. There'll be plenty of places you'll find it to engage in sexual sin, to engage in revenge, to be self-consumed, to put yourself first before everyone else. This is what the whole world is trying to draw us to. But these ideas, these arguments, they come from people that don't know God or the truth about how God sees these things, how God is holy and God hates sin. So their words and their reasons are to sin, they're just empty. They're, they're empty of life, they're empty of truth, and they will cause you to fall for the deception. Paul's saying, warning, warning, church, don't be deceived. Because of these things, the wrath of God is upon them. The judgment of God is coming. And what things is Paul talking about? Well, Beck last week preached on these things. And if you haven't heard it, you can go to our app and listen to it. But all these things are like sexual immorality, bitterness, unforgiveness, lying, filthy language, coarse joking, gossip. And we can get sucked into all these things, right? Like these things are easy for us to get sucked into. People can easily suck you into and say, well, you don't need to forgive. They deserve. They deserve your wrath. They deserve you to be angry at them. You don't have to forgive them. Just brush them. 
People can suck us into gossip, right? We're at school or at work or we're in a family meeting and, and, and people start gossiping about others and it's so easy to get drawn into that and not actually speak truth and love but actually get involved in bringing other people down. We can get sucked into gossip. People make you think swearing's okay. That, oh, well, no one thinks it's an offence anymore, so just swear. This was a really hard one for me when I first came to know Christ. So I came to know Christ at the age of 33, and I was a tradie, and then I was a crane driver for 15 years on the wharf, so everyone swears, right? It's like every second word you swear. And for me, I was like, got convicted by the Holy Spirit, and like, don't do that, Scott. I'm like, but no one's offended. It's the normal language. Like, everyone speaks that way, right? It doesn't offend anyone. And I remember when the Holy Spirit convicted me, I was like, oh, I went surfing on the weekend and it was really good. <laughs> I felt like I couldn't express myself and they didn't understand my language, right? But this is what God was calling me to do. He's calling me to be different. He was calling me to be a light in the darkness. And Christians will say, oh, it doesn't matter, it's not offensive. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think Jesus would go around swearing? Do you think Jesus would tell a dirty joke just to fit in and just to get a laugh? I don't think so. So Paul pleads with the Christians and says to them, Therefore, do not be partakers with them, because the judgment of God is coming on their sins. Don't join them in it. This is not who you are. You're not sons and daughters of disobedience. You're sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters of God do not partake in these things. So the question is, how do we not be deceived? How do we make sure that we're not partakers in sins, in the lies, in the deceit, in the ways of this world? Well, Paul gives us two practical tips here, and they are walk in the light and walk in wisdom. And he gives us a key to each one of these that we're going to dig into. So he first starts with walking in the light. Verse 8, he says, For once you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know, I preached about this two weeks ago. It's putting off the old self and putting on the new. It's that idea of baptisms where we die when we're baptized. We die with Christ. All of our sin and our old person dies. And we are raised to life, a new person in Christ Jesus, in his resurrection. We've gone from darkness to light. So Paul's using just a different analogy here, talking about darkness and light of Jesus. It's like Jesus has come for us and turned the lights on. So you can see your way to the toilet, so you don't hit your shin on the way out. So what does children of light mean? Well, to understand what Paul means, we need to understand what he's thinking in this analogy and where he actually gets this analogy from. And he gets this teaching directly from Jesus. We find this in Acts 26, where the context is Paul is talking to King Agrippa. So Paul has been arrested and he's about to be taken and judged and executed for his faith. And Paul being Paul, didn't matter where he was, he always took the opportunity to preach the gospel, every time. So King Agrippa, they're trying to work out if he should be like imprisoned or not. They're trying to work out if he actually did anything wrong. And so Paul takes this opportunity to preach the gospel, and he starts with his conversion. He starts with how he came to know Christ. Now before, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He would go and lock them up and he was partaker in them being killed for their faith. And he heard that there's some Christians down in Damascus. So he's on the road going to Damascus to get more Christians and chuck them into jail. And Jesus appears to him. This is after the death, his death, burial and resurrection. Jesus physically appears to Paul and Paul's like, who are you, Lord? And he goes, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. 
Paul's like, what do I do? And Jesus answers him and he says, I will deliver you, deliver you from the Jew, Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom now I send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So what we see here, where he gets this analogy from, is that we are in darkness. When we're in darkness, we're actually under the power and the rule of Satan. This sinful world is under the rule of Satan. Jesus actually talks about this when he's going to the cross. He goes, here comes Satan. He comes the ruler of this world. He's got no part in me. So when we're in the darkness, we're under the rule and reign of Satan. Have you ever spoken to someone and they're just so illogical? Like the argument for them to sin or to get revenge is just so ridiculous. Like regardless of what you say, they just can't seem to grasp why they shouldn't do that. That's because they're in darkness. Satan is their God. And he's ruling and reigning over their life. Like, have you ever watched those murder mysteries and stuff where they interview the murderer and the reasons why they murder? And you just sit there and go, what is that? That doesn't even make sense. That's because they're in the kingdom of darkness. Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. He says, the person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. People who are in the kingdom of darkness, when you say, hey, no, we should be loving each other and caring, they're just like, they can't even discern that. They can't even understand that because they can't understand the things of God. But in contrast, if we're children of light, it says we are children of God. We're under the rule and power and reign of Jesus. So through the gospel, we've actually been set free from the kingdom of Satan. He's no longer ruling and reigning of us. And now we're part of the kingdom of God. We've gone from darkness to light. And this is what I love about the gospel. The gospel has so many facets. A lot of people think the gospel is just us getting our ticket into heaven. But like I preached on the other week, yes, when we repent of our sins and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we do receive forgiveness and eternal life, 100%. But also what we get is we are a new creation. We are dead to sin and now we are alive in Christ. We've put off the old and we've put on the new. But also what we get through the gospel is that we've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and we've been placed in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the fruit of being part of this kingdom is that now we can see the truth. It's like Amazing Grace song, right? I was once blind, but now I see. God takes away the scales. It's like the lights have been turned on. We see everything for what it truly is. Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. This is beautiful. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And anyone who follows me doesn't walk in darkness. They walk with me. And this is my, my story of coming to faith. I look back before as a Christian, all these things I did in my mind were justified. All these things I did were like, no, that's okay. I can sin. I can do that. It's all about me. And I look back now and I'm like, why did I even think that way? I can't believe I used to think that way. But now I have the light of life in me. That I don't walk in darkness, I walk in step with Jesus. So Paul continues to tell us in verse 9, when the light has come into our lives, what being part of God's kingdom actually produces, he says, 
For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Some um, translations say pleasing. So find out what is acceptable or pleasing to the Lord. Here's the key of how we walk in the light. By finding out what's acceptable to God. How do we do that? How do we find out what's acceptable and pleasing to the Lord? We have God's word. We have the Bible. And in the Bible, we find the character and the nature of God. We find morals that we're meant to actually follow. Not out of being like to, to be saved, but these are the ways that God lives. This is the way that God desires us to live in harmony with one another. So we have the Bible where we can find these things. We have the Bible where we find how we worship. How we worship God in all areas of our life. Not just over here on Sunday, but as we live throughout the week. I love Psalm 119 verse 105. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Where we're meant to be walking. How we're meant to be walking. We're meant to use God's word to show us the way. How do we do that? Well, we read God's word daily, right? We get into God's word. We wrestle with it. We try and understand it. We try and understand what is God's will in this. We hear preaching and teaching. There's so much stuff online. There's preachers that are a thousand times better than me. You can go online and learn preaching and teaching online. Sunday worship is a place where we come to teach each other how to follow Jesus. We have college courses where you can go and dig really deep into the Bible. You don't have to do it as a degree. You can audit it and just dig deep into it. You don't have to do the assignments. Who hates assignments? Me, I'm one of those ones that hates them. We have small groups where we gather throughout the week where we dig in together as smaller communities to try and discern what God's will is. And we have discipleship one-on-one. Mika, who was in the first service, she was here on Monday, comes to the young adults, they meet on Monday night, and she came early and we were underneath in the office, me and and Fernando and the rest of the staff, and um, she said, I've got got a few questions for you. I said, okay, and she opens up a Bible and she's got these sticky notes all the way through it. They're everywhere, right? I'm like, what are they? She goes, well, when I have a question and I don't know the answer... I write the question down and I stick it on the verse. And she opens up and she's like, I've got a couple of questions for her. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to be here all day. <laughs> there were so many. I only got to about five of them. Um, but it was so good. It was so good because she was looking at God's word and going, I need to understand this. I sit down with mentors. I ask Stu, I ask Mike, I ask others, I ask my lecturers because I want to learn what God's word means. I'm not the all smartest guy in the world, let me tell you. And church, we can't play the ignorant card. We can't say we don't know that this or that was unacceptable to God. Because we have way more access to the Bible than any other generation in the history of mankind. And when we know what's acceptable and pleasing to God, Paul actually commands us to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Here's the thing. I reckon we're naturally good at this one. We're naturally good at pointing the finger at people. But you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do this. Yet we never point the finger back at ourselves, right? Because we don't want to see the darkness of our own heart. But we like telling other people what they're doing wrong. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in the book, The Cost of Discipleship, if you want a good book, get that book. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, judging others makes us blind. Where love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. 
You know, when we point the finger, when we're not looking at our own darkness in our own heart, when we just point the finger and judge, then this is what we're doing. We're blinding ourselves. But when we do it out of love, when we know what's acceptable to the Lord and we want others to follow Jesus, that's a different story. And when we know what's acceptable to the Lord, then we can expose the darkness. But we have to know what's sin before we can actually expose sin. And we expose darkness in love. Just like Jesus lovingly exposes sin in our lives, right? Not to condemn us, but that we would turn away from that and live. Paul continues, he says, But all things are exposed and made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life. I love this because here is a promise that Jesus is the light, the Bible is the light, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, all these three will will expose sin in us. And church, we need to first shine the light of Christ in our own hearts. We need to expose the darkness of our own hearts in our own soul. And we need to repent and let God shine his light on us and his word that would light our path. And, And look, if we let Jesus be Lord of everything, he actually promises to expose sin in us. And then we will know what's acceptable, but then we can also help others follow Jesus in goodness, righteousness, in truth, not in judgment. You see, Jesus gives us light and he will expose the darkness in our hearts if we let him. What it's telling us is we need to actually wake up and know that we have been deceived by the world. We've been deceived, deceived by the sin of the world and we need to turn to the truth of God's word. We actually need to wake up and stand on the truth, not what the world says. Church, make it your aim to know what is acceptable to God. Don't play the ignorant card. Make it your aim. Here's the problem. Generally, what's acceptable to God is not acceptable to the culture around you. You need to make a choice. Do I want to follow God or follow the world? Like there is a cost to discipleship. Now, I'm not talking about paying a cost to be saved. Jesus paid that price on the, on the cross. We are saved by grace. But when we decide to follow Jesus, we're walking in an opposite direction to the culture. When the culture says, engage in all this stuff, we're saying, no, I'm not going to engage in that stuff. I'm going to follow Jesus. And Jesus tells parables about this all the time. He says, who goes to build a building and doesn't count the cost before he builds the building? And if he doesn't count the cost, he gets halfway through and can't finish. He looks like a fool. We need to count the cost when we follow Jesus. And there's this another problem. When we find out what's acceptable to God, it's, and that's not too hard because it's right there in the Bible, you know what's hard? Obeying it is really hard. Obeying the word is really hard. Now I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here. And uh, when I first came to faith, I read the scripture where it says, Jesus is talking, he says, the Bible says, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at another woman... With lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. As a 33-year-old surfer, I'm like, what? How does that work? That's a bit ordinary. That's a bit harsh. Like, I'm just looking. I'm not doing anything wrong, right? Like, I'm not cheating on my wife. How is that? Like, that's a bit crazy, Jesus. So I read God's word and I find out God's heart, what's pleasing and acceptable to him, but obeying it is a different story, right? We find these things like, how do I obey this? And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, Scott, I want to cut things off at the root. Like because it starts at looking, then it goes to flirting, then it goes to touching, then it goes to kissing, and next thing you're committing adultery on your wife. 
I want to cut it off right back here. But you know what? For us, that's hard to deal with, right? There's a cost. There's a cost to that. Why? Because obedience means sacrificing worldly pleasures and behaviours. Paul says, walk in the light of Jesus. Find out what is acceptable behaviour to God. And then when you know what that is, obey it. And then we can expose that darkness. The second tip Paul gives us is walk in wisdom. He says, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. See, if you know what's acceptable God, actually walk in that knowledge. Like, Don't be a fool or another way of putting it, don't be a hypocrite. Like, You have to walk out. You're a fool if you live contrary to what you believe. Or you're a fool if you live contrary to what you profess. See, wisdom is living out what you know to be true in your heart. And he says, redeeming the time. He's saying, take every opportunity to live a life that honors God and serves others by living out the truth of your faith. Take every opportunity to love others. Take every opportunity to seek God, to be transformed by his spirit. Take every opportunity like Paul did to to preach the gospel of Jesus, to share the love of God with people. Why? Because we don't know how long we've got here, do we? We don't know how much time we have, but let me tell you, evil is continually at work. It never sleeps. So we should be redeeming the time. Paul tells the church to take every opportunity to preach the gospel in word and action. You see, the world is full of lies and evil, but we should be different. We should be living our lives in grace and truth and love and telling people that Jesus wants to forgive them, to redeem them, to give them eternal life. And that eternal life starts now. See, eternal life's not in the future. But God God and Jesus wants to bring people out of darkness into the light. Now, that they would have life now, not in the future. They would have life in fullness. So the question is, how do we get wisdom? How do we get it? Well, one way is you ask. In James 1.5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Here's the beauty. That's a promise. It's really clear in Scripture. If you lack wisdom around this stuff, we just ask. And God gives it to us liberally. We don't have to be good or anything like that. We just need to ask God. That's a promise. But remember when we ask, we actually need to mean it. We can't ask for our own selfish gain. You see, when we ask for wisdom, we're asking God to shine the light on our heart and on the world around us. And that, unfortunately, brings responsibility. It brings responsibility to respond to what God illuminates. Church, wisdom starts and ends with God. He is the true source of all wisdom. You see, the wisdom of humanity is foolish compared to the wisdom of God. And Proverbs tells us that the very beginning of true wisdom, it starts with God. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. You know, we read this text and we can think, oh, fear of the Lord, I've just got to be scared of him like he's that, that bad dad who's just always angry at me and, I, and I've got to fear if I do anything wrong. That's not what fear of the Lord is. Fear of the Lord is understanding the holiness and the righteousness of God. It's having a true reverence for who God is. That God is holy and I'm unholy. That God is all-knowing and I know nothing. That God is separate. He is the creator and I'm just simply a creation. And so when we get that perspective correct, it's this understanding of who God is and who we are. 
It's a holy reverence for him. And the knowledge of the Holy One, that's true understanding. In 17, verse 17, Paul goes on. He says, therefore, because of that, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here's the key to wisdom. Understanding the will of God. What is the will of God in all our circumstances, like in our work life, in our relationships, in our families? Like the will of God is something that we're always trying to ascertain, right? And sometimes we put way too much weight and pressure on certain things. Like saying, God, what should I do? Should I be a plumber or a carpenter? And I freak out because God's not speaking to me. But God is like a loving father, right? It's like if my sound comes to me and says, Dad, what do I do? I'm like, what do you love, buddy? What do you enjoy? Oh, I love building stuff. All right, be a builder and I'll be there to support you and love you along the way. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to be this, you have to be that. But God wants to come alongside you, whatever you decide. We put all this pressure on that workspace and what we should do. But then when we get into the workspace, we push God out of the way. And we don't ask what God's will is when we're getting caught up in gossip in the workplace. We don't ask what God's will is. What do I do with my finances? We don't ask what God's will is. How do I treat this person that's different than me? Should I forgive them? We just push God out, right? Because it's way easier to do that rather than obey him. And it's the same in marriage. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you must marry Arthur, Martha. I was going to say Martha, Arthur. Arthur, Martha, whoever. There's nowhere it says that. But we are guided by God in those instances. But whether we are single or whether we are married, God wants to bless us. He wants to be with us. But if we find ourselves in those spaces, we then push God out, right? So I'm married and then I don't want to know what God's will is. It's like she's not doing this for me, she's not doing that for me. And we go off in adultery and, and, and unforgiveness and things like that. Where we should be calling God's will into those circumstances too. <clears throat> but the Bible is a good place where we can start to find out what God's will is, especially in marriage. The Bible says to men, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a big claim. That's big shoes to fill. But he's calling us to lay our lives down and love them well. So we can find God's will in his word. So how do we discern God's will? Well, God's will is that we would believe on Jesus Christ and follow his commands. Believe the gospel so deep in our hearts that we would obey Jesus in our everyday life, in everything we do. Back in the day, there were these wristbands that had WWJD on them. What does that mean? Yes, like everyone had them, right? So if you're like in a situation like, oh, what would Jesus do? You look down. There's a few problems with that. What would Jesus do? Well, for starters, Jesus was God. Um, so people would look at their wrist and go, well, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, so I'm going to rebuke these people. And they go off and rebuke people, right? And it's like, oh, Jesus rebukes out of a pure, perfect place. I'm not sure that we do that, right? Or you're going for the ferry and you miss the ferry. And it's like, what would Jesus do? He'd just walk on water and go over there. Oh, cool. <laughs> like, we don't... <laughs> it's not good to jump in the water if you've missed the ferry because you're not going to walk on water. There's only one other human being that done that and that was Peter and that's because Jesus said, come to me. And he walked for a little bit, then he sunk. So here's a really good tip for you. You're not Jesus. You're not God. You're not all-knowing and all-powerful. So what would Jesus do is not entirely helpful. A better question would be, what would a son or daughter of God do? Someone who is walking in the ways of Jesus. Like, if I truly believe the Bible and I truly believe in Jesus, how should 
I act in this situation. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, if we're asking God's kingdom to come and that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it might be a good question to ask, are we going to be looking at porn in heaven? Not a trick question. Somebody, I'm dying up here. Oh, wow. Thank goodness. Somebody knows. Of course not. Are we going to be swearing in heaven? Are we going to be telling disgusting jokes in heaven? No. Are we going to be lying in heaven? Taking advantage of other people? Are we going to be fighting with people in heaven? Are we going to be super greedy and not sharing in heaven? I mean, I could go on indefinitely, right? That's not what we will be doing. But when we put all these things into that grid, it's really easy to answer. And it's quite easy to know God's will. And that's that our earthly lives would look like our future heavenly lives. That it would be full of grace and truth and love. So it's not too hard to know God's will, but again, it's so hard to obey. But Paul gives us the answer to this problem. How do we obey? He says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Church, we need to recognize and believe that the Holy Spirit is the power that drives us towards God that drives us towards obedience, that drives us towards truth and love. And Paul contrasts being filled with the Holy Spirit to being drunk. So people, when they're drunk, they're fully um, taken over by that experience, right? Like they're almost out of control. They get drunk and they're doing things they shouldn't do. They're fully intoxicated. And this is what Paul's saying. We should be fully intoxicated, fully filled with the Holy Spirit, that he would be in control. Because you know what? I don't have in a million years the strength to follow God. I don't have that strength. I'm weak, but my God is strong. I'm unholy, but my God is holy. I'm nothing, but my God is everything. I have no power, but my God is all-powerful. And that powerful God dwells in me. That's amazing. Ben, would you like to come up? Church, we, including me, We need to understand and believe that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. That the same Spirit that hovered over the waters of creation and brought order out of chaos lives in us. And he wants to bring order out of the chaos of our fallenness in our lives that we would follow him. Church, he wants us to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that we would be convicted of sin and then guided into truth, love and action. So intoxicated by the Spirit that He would be in control of our hearts, our thoughts, and our minds and our actions. How good would that be? And then when He is, we're compelled to encourage one another, to disciple one another, and to pursue God together as a community of believers in love. Support one another in this journey. I love how Paul rounds off this passage. He says in verse 19, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, he's saying, use God's word to encourage one another, to teach each other, to support each other, to help each each other walk the path that God is calling us to walk through his Holy Spirit. And giving thanks to God for all things. The Bible says all good things are from God. 
All good things are from God, and we give thanks to God for that through our Lord Jesus Christ. That means through the gospel. You are saved because Jesus come and died for you. You are a new creation because Jesus come and died for you. You have gone from darkness to light because Jesus has died for you. So we give thanks to God through our Lord Jesus Christ and serving one another in the fear of the Lord. Again, it's not fear. It's having this holy reverence of who God is and going, I know how you love humanity. It's displayed on the cross and I am called to love my brothers and sisters in the same manner, in the fear and the wisdom and the understanding of God. Church, what do we learn from this passage? Well, God wants us to walk in the light, find out what's acceptable and pleasing behavior to Him. And then He wants us to walk in wisdom, understand what the will of the Lord is in every situation and actually be obedient to that will. And we do that in community. We do that coming together as followers of the Lord. We come together like today, where we gather as a community of believers to love and serve each other. And we give praise to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because in the end, it's all for our good and to the praises of His glory. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light into the path. God, would you help us understand your word? Would you help us understand your love for us? That you desire us to walk in light, not in darkness. That you send us out into the world to be the light. That people would turn to the light, which is you, and put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. And if you're here and you've not accepted Jesus, if you didn't know that he came to die for you, to make you a new creation, to take you out of the darkness and put you in the light, then he simply asks you to repent. Repent of your sin. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what he did for you on the cross. Believe that he died for your sins, that he rose again in victory over sin and death, and he will give you his Holy Spirit. So God, we come before you today in holy reverence and fear of who you are because you are wonderful and you are beautiful and you know all things, God. Holy Spirit, come and convict us in our heart, but also give us the power to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We are about to worship and sing praises to God about his grace. And while we do that, as we sing this song, there are going to be people down the front who would love to pray for you. So if there is something in this message that you would love prayer for, maybe it's wisdom. Let's pray together. The Bible says, ask, and he gives to all liberally. Maybe it's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, don't be drunk. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, come down the front. We would love to pray for you. But as we stand, let's worship together.